This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. This is the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast with Andy Hill, session number 17. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thanks for being here today, everyone. For decades, Vanguard has been a trusted name in the investment community. In this financial blogger world that I've recently entered into, it's a resounding theme that Vanguard is the way to go when it comes to investing for your retirement. Billionaire Warren Buffett thinks Vanguard is an excellent choice. Personal development coach Tony Robbins wrote a whole book on it. Since that is the ever-present case, I decided I would give Vanguard a call and get retirement advice straight from the source. And I would share it with all of you, the super awesome listeners of the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. I had the opportunity to chat with Maria Bruno, a senior investment strategist at Vanguard. Maria specializes in retirement and personal finance. So for me, being a personal finance junkie, speaking with a personal finance expert like Maria was a big deal. On the show today, you're going to hear Maria and I chat about retirement planning, asset allocation, and how important it is to minimize fees. We also explore the versatilities and the advantages of the magical and mystical Roth IRA. If you're just getting started with investing for your retirement, or if you've been at it for a while and you're not quite sure that you're making the right moves, this interview today is for you. Without further ado, here's my convo with Maria Bruno from Vanguard. How you doing, Maria? I'm well, Andy. Thanks for having me today. Excellent. Well, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Vanguard, that'd be a great place for us to start. Sure. Um, I am a senior investment strategist at Vanguard, and I am part of a team that leads research and thought leadership around markets, the economy, portfolio construction. Um, My areas of specialty are retirement and personal finance. Um, I have over 25 years um, in the industry. I'm dating myself. Uh, Most of that, I'm also a certified financial planner practitioner, so most of um, my time has actually been in working with financial planning or working on on thought leadership around financial planning topics. Excellent. Well, it's safe to say that you are an expert when it comes to retirement planning, and that's what we're having you on the show for today. Uh, I was hoping to get as much great information out of you as possible so I could help our listeners as well as selfishly a little bit myself on uh, saving for retirement and making sure we're doing the the smart things for our family and for our money. Uh, Could you tell us the importance of saving for retirement as early as possible in life? Some of some people the listener to the show is this would be their, you know, their first opportunity in getting retirement going for them. It's the most important thing, Andy, it is, Um, but it can be especially for investors who are just starting out. Um, it can be a little overwhelming because there's limited resources and there may be multiple goals, for instance, saving for retirement or paying down college debt still or buying a home or having a family. So 
most young investors are facing the situation where they want to save for retirement, but there's other competing goals. My message is to start early as much as you can um, and then get disciplined and increase going forward. And the reason is the power of compounding. The sooner that you can start investing, those dollars then have earnings and then those earnings earn um, as well. So it's just this compounding effect. And then what you find over the long term is that you actually have to end up saving less if you start sooner rather than trying to have to pay, uh, play catch up later in retirement. Excellent. That's that's great advice. So it's a gigantic snowball rolling down the hill and gathering you more money as you get as you get older. Exactly. Excellent. So you mentioned a couple things that you might want to take advantage of first before you get into retirement. What would some of those things be? Uh, savings, uh, other other elements, maybe debt uh, elimination. Yeah, I would think it's it's a good way to start thinking about savings versus investing. So when you're investing, it's for a long-term goal, whether it's retirement or maybe it's for um, a child's college education, for instance. These are longer-term goals where you really need to think about uh, asset allocation and investing to um, to take inflation into account, right? So these are longer-term goals. Savings is really short-term liquid needs, an emergency reserve. So many investors are trying to balance that investing and savings. There's an opportunity cost to not being invested in the market. So if you have too much in cash, for instance, you're not able to take part in in market participation. So it's finding that balance. Um, But then there's a debt factor there as well. And for many of us, it's not an all or nothing decision. It's a compromise and it's a balance. And it's usually a compromise of doing some saving, some investing, and then paying down debt as well. Um, not all debt is bad. Um, there are, you know, if you college education, you're making an investing investment in yourself or your children. Or if you purchase a home, you're building home equity. And some debt actually have some tax benefits to it in terms of tax deductions. It's usually the consumer debt that comes with high interest rates and, um, you know, if left unchecked can really increase in size and and get overwhelming. So those types of debts in particular should be the ones that you really think about whittling down and um, focusing on the the other aspects in terms of savings and investing. Excellent. Excellent. So it's it's all about balance. I completely understand that for sure. So let's get into uh, a little bit about investing. What are some good options to consider if I'm just getting started with investing? Um, Well, if you're investing for retirement, there are uh, tax-advantaged accounts such as 401ks if um, you're working for a company that offers an employer-sponsored retirement plan. Um, for many, that's the first source for retirement investing. Um, the other common vehicle is an, an IRA, an individual retirement account. And you can do both as an investor, and there's advantages uh, and trade-offs to both types of plans. But if you're saving for retirement, those are the two lead uh, type of accounts because of the tax benefits that they offer. Excellent. Can we talk a little bit about those tax benefits? If I take advantage of the 401k at my office, uh, which is great because my employer um, matches a portion of it, which is awesome, free money, uh, what what other benefits might I, might I have by going after that 401k on the tax side? Well, the first thing you said is the employer match. So many employers will offer some type of match. So Maybe every dollar that you invest up to a certain percentage is matched. And you are wise in taking advantage of that. If not, you're leaving money on the table. So the first thing would be to make sure you're saving at least up to the company match. Um, 
the nice part about these types of vehicles is that the earnings grow either tax-deferred or tax-free, depending whether you're in a traditional deferred account or a, a Roth account, whether it's an IRA or a 401k. And we can talk a little bit about the difference between those two, but basically the earnings will grow either tax-deferred or tax-free, um, so that shelters a lot of the compounded earnings that we're talking about from current income taxation. Um, so huge benefit there. Um, on the 401k side, they offer some pretty rich uh, amounts in terms of how much you can contribute. So for instance, if you um, are under age 50, you currently can defer $18,000 on an annual basis to your 401k or 403p, for instance. So some pretty rich limits there in terms of how much you can save in these tax-advantaged plans. Okay, so if I make, let's say I make $100,000 a year, and I'm going to contribute $18,000, the max, for 2017, how does that work tax-wise? So I am then only, in the eyes of the government, making $82,000 a year, and I'm taxed on that? It depends whether you invest in a traditional deferred vehicle or mm -hmm. a Roth vehicle. And the difference there is is whether how you're making those contributions and whether the dollars are pre-tax or after-tax. So if you're contributing, generally speaking, to a traditional 401k, those dollars are um, contributed to the plan through payroll deduction, for instance. Um, and in a traditional deferred, you actually get a tax deduction in the year of contribution. And then the earnings grow tax-free later in retirement when you take withdrawals from those accounts the dollars will be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So basically, you're getting a tax break today on the contribution. The earnings grow tax-deferred. When you take distributions in retirement, the money is taxed at the back end. Got it. A Roth, on the other hand, you make contributions with dollars that have already been taxed, after-tax dollars, for instance. And then the, so you don't get a tax deduction when you make the contribution, but the account grows tax-free. So assuming that you meet certain types of uh, either holding periods or if it's a qualified distribution, for instance, and for many of us, we'll assume that they are tax-free withdrawals later in retirement. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So that's the difference between a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k. So you, you talk a little bit about <clears throat> um, Roth IRAs. I've watched a lot of your videos. I think they're fantastic. Uh, you're, who's, who's ever run on the YouTube channel at, uh, at Vanguard is doing a great job. <laughs> Can you, can you? Thanks. I'll pass that along. Andy. There you Thanks. go. Good. Can you tell? Uh, you know, can you tell people why maybe a Roth IRA might be a good choice to consider if you are just getting started and maybe a little younger uh, in 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 planning for your retirement? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I do like to talk about this. I want to first say that a Roth IRA is a retirement vehicle and should be treated as such. However, it does come with some flexible options that is unique to that type of account. So for many investors who are starting out, my suggestion would be first, invest in your company plan at least up to the match because we talked about that otherwise you're leaving money on the table. Yes. And then considering supplementing that with a Roth IRA. And the reason is, um, again, the taxation is the same. You, you make the contributions and then the account grows tax-free. But because you're making contributions with dollars that have already been taxed, you can access those contributions tax and penalty free. Hmm. So there's a liquidity feature there that is unique. Now, again, I just want to reinforce our listeners that um, these are retirement accounts and the benefit of these accounts is to really have that, those earnings grow tax free. 
but it can be a versatile account if you need to tap money um, for you know some type of emergency or, or short-term planned expense of some sort. Uh, and then to the extent that you need or probably should save more, go back into the 401k, for instance. Um, so there's a versatility there that offers some benefit. And you know, my message to many people that are just starting out is, you know, really think about the 401k, think about the Roth, um, because it's very difficult, again, as we talked about limited resources, to save for retirement, pay down debt, and also save in a liquid reserves account. So the Roth IRA could be a good option to build those retirement savings early, but yet have an accessibility feature there if you need it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So don't plan to use it for an emergency if it, it has the ability to save you in an emergency uh, if you need to get it because you've already paid the taxes on the Roth IRA is what you're saying. Correct. Excellent. So Maria, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Roth IRA. Are there any income restrictions, age restrictions, just restrictions in general that people should be aware of if they're going to get into a Roth IRA? Uh, and the first thing is you need to have earned income. So as long as you have earned income, the amount that the maximum amount that you can contribute in 2017, for instance, is $5,500. So let's assume you have that amount of income. That's the amount that you can contribute. Um, there are income limitations in terms of who can actually contribute to a Roth IRA. So for 2017, if your income is more than $133,000, then as a single filer, uh, you're phased out of uh, contributing to a Roth IRA. For married filing jointly, it's $196,000. So if you make above that amount, there's phase-outs lower than that, but if you make more than that, then your option would be to... There, there's a couple things to think about. One is you can always make a traditional IRA contribution, although the deductibility limits would be even lower than that. So right. you could make a uh, contribution, but you wouldn't be able to benefit from a tax deduction. Mm-hmm. There is um, a workaround. Um, it's commonly called the backdoor Roth IRA. So if your income exceeds these limitations, you may be able to contribute to a Roth IRA through a two-step process. First would be to contribute to a traditional IRA. Because your income is too high, you wouldn't be able to ta- take the tax deduction So you make the contribution to the traditional IRA and then shortly thereafter convert that to a Roth IRA. Oh, okay. So it's a a two-step process. You contribute and then convert. Hmm. And that's one way because there are no income limitations on conversions. So it's a two-step process that for some investors could be feasible. Uh, We have information on Vanguard.com. So if some of our listeners want to learn more about it, I would suggest them to to read up on that. Excellent. but there may be an opportunity there. Very cool. I will uh, work with you and get that link and put it in our show notes for the end of the show. So when people are on marriagekidsandmoney.com, uh, they can find that uh, that link and they can learn a little okay, bit great. more around that. Um, okay, so we learned a little bit about Roth IRA, a little bit about your 401k at work. Can we talk about just goal setting? Like, how much do I need in retirement? How, what's a good What's a good way to even plan? Do I need $10 million? Do I need $1 million? How do I even, how do I even know? Well, we often joke and say you're going to need more than you think you need, but you really can't plan on that. Um, but, you know, kidding aside, for young investors, it's a daunting number. You just really don't know how much to save. Um, our rule of thumb is to earmark 12 to 15% of your income towards retirement. 
Now, for many listeners, that could seem like a really lofty goal um, because, again, most of our listeners are probably juggling different types of goals. But for retirement, that's a good watermark. And I will caveat by saying that that is a combination of both your investable dollars as well as any employer match. So, for instance, if you get a 3% match, on your contributions, that's part of that 12 to 15% formula. If you can save more than that, great. Um, but that's a good watermark. Now, my message to to many investors who are juggling different goals would be to start with um, what you're, you know, stretch yourself a bit. Maybe it's 5%. So 5%, if you have a 3% company match, you're deferring 8%, for instance. And then do an auto increase every year. Many 401ks offer this option, for instance, where you can set it up where every year the amount that you defer will go up by 1%. Oh. So it's a very disciplined way to get there. So if you start off with 5 plus 3 from your employer match, you're at 8%. You increase every year by age 30 for a 25-year-old investor, for instance. By age 30, you're there. And you're there in a very disciplined way. So, so that's, that's like a good that's like a good mind trick then you know you don't if you don't think you have the money then you won't spend it. <laughs> right, that's the nice part about doing it in um either a dollar cost averaging way which is basically an automatic exchange maybe from a money market into a mutual fund for instance mm-hmm. or in a 401k which is really deferral right um right off the top, these are automatic ways to get the discipline in the investing. So we take the emotional uh, decision-making out of the equation. Um, So it's very effective. You can set up these increases. You're there in a very disciplined way. And it's an easier way to get there. Um, But the key there is that you start and then increase. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month 
each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Excellent. So, all right, let's let's say I've got the discipline and I'm starting to do my 12 to 15% per year of my income and, and Maria's patting me on the back saying, way to go. What, where do I, where do I place this? What I've heard you talk about the importance of a good asset allocation. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe guide people in the right direction now that they've got the discipline to deposit the money, but where, where are we investing it? Right. So it really is a top-down approach. Um, you know, many of us can get focused on fund selection, but really that should be the last uh, decision point. The first will be, well, what is your asset allocation, which is the combination of stocks, bonds, and cash, for instance. Mm-hmm. If you have a long-term horizon, we're talking about retirement here, and we're talking about young investors, there's a long investing horizon, and you really need to think about inflation risk. So you need to focus on growth-oriented type investments to keep up with inflation or outpace inflation over the long run. And that's where stock investments can play a role. Diversification is key. So when you think about diversification within the stock market, for instance, you want to think about investing globally. Um, so have some exposure to U.S. and non-U.S. investments. Um, so those are some things to think about. Stock investments play a role. Diversification, having access to different types of uh, countries or different types of um, sectors in the portfolio, really diversified the portfolio um, over the long term. You can achieve this diversification in a number of ways. You can pick individual funds that we had talked about. Um, but one convenient way for um, retirement planning would be to think about a target date fund or a balanced fund. Hmm. So these are all in one funds that really do the decision-making around asset allocation and rebalancing, which is maintaining that asset allocation over time. So there's a lot of funds out there in the investing universe and for those of us that really like to get into the weeds and, and make our own portfolios, we can certainly do that. But there are a lot of really low-cost balance funds that can do that for you as an investor. So you just pick the right fund, whether it's a target date fund. And by that, I mean is, you know, if you look at when you retire at age 65, you would pick a corresponding fund that would have that date. Um, And what it does is it invests more conservatively over time. So it does the asset allocation and the rebalancing for you moving more conservatively over time. Oh, okay. So they're a very very low-cost, effective way to get diversification um, in one fund. So you are saying that uh, the the only maybe disadvantage of doing a target date fund like that is that just sort of takes the control out of it for the investor? I mean, that might be good for some people. Are there any other differences or advantages or disadvantages of doing the target target date fund that people should be aware of? There's probably more advantages than not. Hmm. Andy, I'll be honest. Um, the nice part about these 
balanced products is they take the rebalancing equation and the portfolio management, all the the implementation piece um, is done for us as investors. Huh. Now, some investors can find that limiting, um, but the more broadly diversified you are, the more access that you have to a broader universe of individual securities that as an individual investor, you may not otherwise be able to enjoy. Hmm. Excellent. Because um, with mutual funds, you know, we pool all of the investor dollars and then the portfolio management team makes decisions. So it's very difficult for us as individual investors outside of a mutual fund universe to be able to get that diversification. So these all-in-one funds are very broadly diversified. And that's the key. When you pick a balanced fund or a target date fund, make sure that they're broadly diversified. And many of them are today. And they get the really, what's nice is they get the market exposure and they're able to do it in a low cost structure. Excellent. Do you um, do any of these target date funds or, or do you guys recommend anything with regard to uh, real estate uh, mutual funds like REITs as, as a good uh, way to diversify as well? Well, when you think about investing, um, for instance, in, in index funds, mm-hmm. many target date funds will use broad market indices, for instance. Um, by just the inherent nature of an index fund, these types of investments whether they're sectors or different types of companies, are actually part of the broad market index. So if you're thinking about REITs, for instance, they're actually part of the uh, total U.S. investable market. So it's actually in a fund that owns a, a broadly diversified index fund. So um, any, if you're thinking about maybe overweighting a particular sector of the market or whatnot, that's up to you as an investor whether you feel that you want to overweight a particular sector, for instance. Um, the key there is to make sure that you're not over-concentrated in any one area of the market because you're overexposed to potential um, risks associated with either that company or that industry or that sector. Excellent. Well, this is uh, great information on the planning portion. Thank you. So, this is something that comes up for everybody. They, there's a lot of confusion on how much am I paying? How much does the investment firm make? If I work with a financial advisor, that's obviously a completely different story. But if I'm going to get into a target date fund, just for an example, as we're using that in our conversation, how do I know what I'm paying to a company like Vanguard? Where, where do I find that information and, and, and get an understanding of, of that? It's actually quite easy this day and age through... Um uh, through, if it's an employer plan or if you're picking your investment firm, you just go to the website and actually look at the investment and the costs are laid out there. And um, it, it's very transparent. You just have to ask the question. If you're working with an individual, if it's a financial planner, ask how they're compensated, look at the products and find out what the expense ratio is. We need to ask whether there's any types of sale, any type of commission, mm-hmm. um, any type of loads, which are um, extra fees that are above the expense ratio. So for instance, any all mutual funds have operating expenses. Um, the key is to find low-cost diversified mutual funds and if there's any fees above that. So the expense ratios, if there's any type of load or any type of commissions, those will all be disclosed uh, either on the website. Um, mutual funds all have prospectuses. It's all outlined there as well. So you need to do a little bit of homework, but it's easy to find. Excellent. I wanted to ask you about index funds. I know Jack Bogle, your founder, I had heard that uh, developed uh, in conjunction with his partners at Vanguard the one of the first 
index funds in, in the market mm-hmm. in the, I think it was in the 70s. So why, what are the advantages of index funds? We're talking about fees. I understand that index funds can have some completely different fees as, as uh, other mutual funds are set up. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that might be a good option for people to consider? Sure. When you think about mutual funds, typically they're categorized either whether they're indexed funds or actively managed funds. And the difference is index funds track a market benchmark. They can be the standard and poor's 500, for instance, the common benchmark. Um, the goal of that fund is to match the performance of that index. And of course, there's going to be fees associated with that. So it's you need to think about the market performance net of fees. Actively managed funds, on the other hand, have a portfolio management team that is making decisions on when to buy or sell certain types of securities. And they're basically making the calls of trying to outperform the market. Not One is not right or wrong. It's just how you as an investor feel about investing. Index funds tend to be very cost-effective way to get that broad market diversification that we had talked about. Now, there's all different flavors of index funds, um, U.S., non-U.S. I'd like to talk about broad market index funds um, for a minute because it does give broad diversification at low cost, and that's the key. Mm -hmm. They're very cost-effective ways to get market exposure. When we think about cost as an investor, it's the number one thing that you can control And research shows that lower-cost mutual funds have tended to perform better than higher-cost funds over time. So, you know, every dollar you pay as an investor, it's one less dollar earning potential return. So index funds are very cost-effective, and they're also very tax-efficient. So for investors that are saving outside of 401ks or IRAs, the nature of the funds, because there isn't very heavy turnover, they can be very tax-efficient. Um, so that when we think about costs, it's both the operating cost or the expense ratio, but it's also taxes if you're investing outside those retirement accounts. Got it. Well, it sounds like a great option. Uh, we've gone through a lot of in- good information here for everybody to soak in, obviously, every- everywhere from your employer-sponsored plan to a Roth IRA and the difference between that and a traditional IRA. We talked about the importance of Uh, setting goals and a good asset allocation and a little bit about even uh, fees and how people can get charged uh, for participating in these funds. Let's say I'm in and I'm investing and I got a good uh, portfolio going. The the Dow just recently hit 20,000 a little while ago. Everybody's excited. What what can I do uh, if this market drops again? And what will happen to what will happen to me if I panic and pull out of my pull out of my retirement accounts. What's that going to do to me? Well, the market will um, go through some type of correction. We don't know when, or we don't know how steep that correction can be. Um, so, I will say, don't panic. And that's easier said than done. Investing is very emotional for all of us. I'm in the industry, um, but it's still emotional. So, the more you can do to make sure that you're diversified and um, you know check the as- your asset allocation if you um, are not in a target date fund, for instance, and make sure that nothing has changed in your overall investing goals or time horizon or risk tolerance. Rebalance now. So we've been in a very um, rich bull market since 2009, and it's really been a rebalancing story. And rebalancing means selling your 
winners to go into your losers, for back, uh, lack of a better term. Right. But really what that does is it maintains the profile. So, for instance, if you're an investor with an asset allocation of 80% stock, 20% bonds, you're basically making changes potentially on an annual basis to maintain that asset allocation. The advantage to doing that is that you're not overexposed to equity risk, for instance, um, if there is a correction. So you want to maintain the risk profile of your portfolio. We here at Vanguard talk about staying the course, and staying the course doesn't mean doing nothing. What it means is um, making sure your asset allocation is correct and that you're rebalancing. Um, what you don't want to do in the time of a market correction is to panic and pull out of the market altogether. It's probably the worst thing that you can do as an investor because um, you can't time the markets and you don't know when to get back in. And the 2008 bear market is a perfect example of that in that the markets took a huge downturn, but then since then the market has rebounded. So you don't know when that correction will occur. Um, and it's very – our research and other in, research has shown it's very difficult to try, try and time the markets. Um, so be broadly diversified um, and just don't try – don't panic and pull out of the markets altogether because there's an opportunity cost of that um, because you're not being invested in the market when it does rebound. Got it. Stay the course. It's a long-term play. It's not, it's not an in-and-out kind of thing. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's easier said than done. Absolutely. Uh, but to react to – to be panicked and reacting is very difficult. Um, we talk about our investing principles here at Vanguard, and there's four key principles that I always go back to. First is goals, and we talked about that, really defining what your, your goal is, why you're investing. The second is balance, which is the diversification message. The third is cost, and the fourth is discipline. And I think discipline is the most difficult piece of all of this because it means that you've done the first three right, and that you're actively monitoring this going forward. But if you can remember those four things, um, those are the keys to long-term success because these are the things that you can control on the market. So you can't control when they're going to correct, but you can control how you're investing within those unpredictable markets. Excellent. Well, I read through this manifesto, and I really like it, so I will be sure to post that as well for the listeners. Well, Maria, thank you so much for your time today. If somebody wants to learn more about Vanguard and considering opening an account uh, for their retirement, where where should they go? I would suggest Vanguard.com. Uh, at Vanguard, we really take investor education very seriously. Um, so there's a lot of very good information on our website for investors who are just getting started. Uh, either at Vanguard or just in their investing journey. There's some good information to learn about some of the things that we talked about today. Excellent. Perfect. Well, this has uh, been an extremely enlightening conversation. I really appreciate your time. It means a lot to me and the people who are listening to the show. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Andy. My pleasure. Man, I love this show. What a, what a great chat with Maria. I hope you all like that. Uh, the, the purpose of this interview was to help you get some actionable advice that can help you on your journey towards retirement. If you're listening to this and you're fairly young and you haven't started retirement investing yet, I implore you to start today. Like Maria said, take advantage of your employer-sponsored 401k or start a Roth IRA. The power of compound interest only works if you allow it time to compound. If you've uh, been at the retirement investing thing for a while now, analyze your asset allocation and look into how much you're paying in financial advisor fees or your expense ratios. 
you just might be able to save thousands of dollars and years of retirement by making a few small adjustments. Near the end of the show, Maria mentioned Vanguard's investing principles. All of this information is contained in a nice PDF that I've placed in the show notes at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 17. On that same link in the comments section, you can tell me how you are planning for your retirement. Lately, I've been getting some really excellent emails from uh, listeners of the show. Just want to say thank you. It's awesome hearing from everybody. It really inspires me to hear that you're enjoying the podcast. I'm at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or Facebook and the Twitter at Andy Hill MKM if you want to shoot me a note. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Vanguard's founder, Jack Bogle, regarding the importance of diversification. He says, don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. <laughs> All right, everybody, make a plan and take some action. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.